Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. All right. So, happy Mother's Day. Um, it's really, really cool to be preaching on Mother's Day. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts 19, verses 11 to 20. Acts 19, verses 11 to 20. And as you're turning there, we're continuing our sermon series on the third missionary journey of Paul. So last week, if you remember, Pastor Andrew asked us this question. He asked us if we are focused on Jesus, right? It's important not to be distracted by the gifts or the messenger, but be focused and have your eyes fixed on Jesus. We read about how Paul, as he was traveling through Ephesus, how he came across these disciples who were distracted by the followers of John the Baptist. And ultimately, they missed the big picture of the fulfillments of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue and follow Paul as he continues his missionary journey in Ephesus. <clears throat> it was 2 a.m. in Algeria, and Nagua sits on the shore with her black candle and her piece of paper. She said, May bad luck follow Sarah wherever she goes for the rest of her life. May bad luck follow Sarah wherever she goes for the rest of her life. May bad luck follow Sarah wherever she goes for the rest of her life. Nagawa repeated this seven times. Then she put the paper over the flame until the paper turned into ashes. She scooped the ashes in her hand, and then she blew it into the sea. What just happened there was a curse that Nagawa tried to perform on Sarah. Now, Nagawa it was a witch doctor who had lived in Algeria, and Sarah... She is a Christian who also lived in the same Muslim village. Not only that, Nagwa and Sarah are neighbors. So Sarah has a pretty good reputation. A lot of people know her, and Nagwa knows her as well, but she hates Sarah because she is Christian. And so you see that hate by the curse that Nagwa tried to perform on Sarah. But my question to Nagwa is, what kind of power do you think you have? What kind of power do you think you really have? I mean, clearly she's sitting there on the shore and this witch doctor who clearly wants to get rid of Sarah, but she's doing so in her own resources. I look out to you all and I know most of you all, and I know you guys aren't witches, but the question still stands. What kind of power do you think you really have? 
Some of us think our power is in our money. When we look at our stock options, our investments, our own bank account, savings account, we think, my future's looking pretty good, sitting, sitting pretty good. Some of us might find our power when we look in the mirror and see our own beauty, using that to leverage certain situations and gain more power. Some of us might think our power lies in our intellect, how smart we are. For some of us, it might be a combination of all those things. For some of us, it might be our name, where we have our power and status and reputation. It's very interesting to me looking and uh, following some celebrities, and if you've ever witnessed a video of a celebrity being pulled over, for example, by the police for speeding, they inevitably, nine times out of 10, they always say, do you know who I am? Do you, do you know who I am? And the police officer is just completely oblivious. They have no clue who they pulled over and who they're writing this speeding ticket to. It's like, sorry, Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch, Cucumber, I don't know, but you're getting the speeding ticket. Have a nice day. They always go back to, do you know who I am? Do you know what my name is? There's something that, that they're communicating here. And even in this passage, we're going to look at the name of Jesus. We're going to look at the name of Jesus and see how the name of Jesus is, is all-powerful, see how the name of Jesus is not to be manipulated, and we're going to see how in this passage the name of Jesus is to be glorified. So let's stand as we read Acts 19, verses 11 to 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits carried out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You may be seated. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for giving us your word giving us direction and light. And as we come to this passage, as we continue to follow Paul on his missionary journey, there are some strange things that might seem uh, unfamiliar to us. Uh, there are some things that might seem very familiar to us. And Lord, I ask that you bring clarity to this passage 
so that the gospel will go forth. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are right in the heart of Ephesus, right? A place where incantation spells, chants, and dark arts have happened. As a matter of fact, this is a good snap, uh, snapshot of the magical culture that is in Ephesus. Evil spirits, exorcisms, chants, spells. And since Paul was there spreading the gospel and understanding the context of the darkness that he encountered in Ephesus, he had an advantage over this dark power that was in Ephesus. He had the power of God. And so what did that power of God look like as he was continuing his missionary journey? Well, it looked like miracles, right? These inexplicable things that happen, right? And so when we look at the miracles, let's just read the first two verses, verse 11 and 12 again. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were, uh, were carried to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Here are two things that I want to emphasize about the first two verses. Number one, God's purposes for performing miracles is always consistent with who he is and the promises that he's made for humanity and in this world. He's still in the business of making wrong things right and sticking to his promises. And so the very acts of God that we experience are, in fact, miracles, the sun that rose today is a miracle from God. The food that we eat is a miracle from God. But because of the fall, because of sin that has entered this world, miracles tend to look a little different nowadays. Miracles look like healing and restoring what's broken in our lives. And we see this with Paul. As a matter of fact, when you think about how the, the miracles are happening, God chooses to use his handkerchiefs and his aprons. This makes me think about when Jesus was in that massive crowd and they were following him and everyone was cramped together and I can just see Jesus going along like this. And there was a woman who was sick. She reached out and grabbed his garment and she was healed because she believed in the power of Jesus. And that's what the miracle looks like. And so the purpose of miracles, number one, two, how the miracles were being administered through Paul's uh, journey at that time. For whatever reason, God chose to use Paul's handkerchief, his snotty, sweaty handkerchief to heal people which is really ironic because the last thing you want on you is someone else's snot or sweat to be healed. And his apron, something very insignificant. But what's interesting about this sort of irony is that understanding the context of the people in Ephesus, all the dark magic and idols, they would have easily looked at Paul and his things and built shrines for whatever Paul owned, because they felt like the healing power was in those things. For example, Paul was a tent maker. And so if God had chosen to heal people through coming in and out of the tent, then surely enough, people would have made like shrines 
from Paul's tents, would have worshipped and idolized Paul's tents that he was making. But I assure you, no one was taking and making shrines out of someone's dirty handkerchief or apron. It's absurd. As a matter of fact, the Luptons just had a yard sale a couple of days ago, and I'm sure you guys bought up all the good stuff. But I can assure you, there is no power in Andrew's dish rags. There's no power in that. There's no power in his Packers jersey. There's no power in that. You can rest assured about that. There's no power in Paul's clothes, right? There is no power in Paul without God, but there is power in the name of Jesus that Paul is using. It's that power that, of Jesus that reminds me of Jesus's encounter with the unclean spirit when he was preaching on the day of Sabbath in Capernaum. And in Luke 4, 35 through 37, he says, but Jesus rebuked him, the unclean spirit, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm, the man who was possessed. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. When I think about Jesus preaching and teaching in Capernaum and this scene in the passage of Ephesus, I think about people like us, just like those people in Ephesus and Capernaum. We too ought to marvel at the power of the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 and 9 says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Andrew mentioned that last week we have a tendency to be distracted by the messenger or the gifts. But when we truly understand who God is, we are in awe of his marvelous wonder and what he has done for us. So the name of Jesus is all-powerful, and the name of Jesus is also not to be manipulated, right? And so word gets round about these miracles and healing that is going with Paul as he is continuing to spread the gospel in Ephesus. And these seven guys, these seven sons of Sceva, they catch wind of this. And so what do we know about these seven sons of Sceva? Well, one, they're all sons of a Jewish high priest. Two, they might have seen or heard Paul as he was spreading the gospel. And they were travelers as well. And some of your versions, mine is the English Standard Version, says the itinerant uh, Jewish sons. Itinerant meaning traveler. So they were traveling from one place to another. So they must have seen or heard Paul using this name of Jesus when he was performing these healing acts and miracles taking place. So what did they do? They decided to attempt that for themselves, thinking that Jesus was the way that they could be as these practicing exorcists be, um, be more recognized. And so they tried to drive out these evil spirits by using the name of Jesus, but... 
to no avail. Let's, let's revisit verse 13. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Although this passage doesn't really explicitly say whether they're believers or not, you notice that it's clear that they invoke the name of Jesus in an attempt to drive out these evil spirits. And you can see by how they talk about the name Jesus that there's some relational distance, lack of relationship when they use the name of Jesus in verse 13. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So what's, what's going on here? What are they doing? Well, they're trying to use Jesus to get results, but they had no success. As a matter of fact, things got a lot worse. The evil spirit, you go back, the evil spirit recognizes, he knows who Jesus is, he knows who Paul is, looks at those guys, who are you? I don't know who you are. And then he beats up all seven of them and sends them out naked into the city of Ephesus. And everyone hears about this news. I am pretty sure that these seven sons of Sceva were tremendously afraid after having been beaten up by a man possessed by an evil spirit. I'm pretty sure that they were pretty confused. I mean, I, I use the name Jesus to get rid of the evil spirit like Paul did, but what, what happened? What happened? I'm sure they were confused, and I'm pretty sure that they were embarrassed because the entire town knew of this incident. I'm pretty sure that they were embarrassed about this. Is that the takeaway, though, not to mess with evil spirits? Is that the takeaway from this passage? I don't think so. Were they thinking to themselves, what worked for Paul can work for me? I use the name Jesus. But what went wrong here? These men were not apostles. They were not sent from God. And we can tell by the way they used the name Jesus. They knew of Jesus or the name of Jesus, but they did not know. They did not have a relationship with Jesus. And they didn't know what his name meant. So a little over a month ago, my wife and I went to Florida for a wedding. And if you all have been to Florida before, you notice that the weather is lovely. So the wedding was actually outside. The ceremony was outside. And our reception table was outside. And um, my wife and I were talking on the way that uh, we were glad that we were in each other's company because the only other person that we knew at the wedding was the bride. And she was too busy to talk for some reason. So um, during that time, during the ceremony, um, I thought of this idea to, you know, how to mingle. And I said, aha, usually at reception tables, they have your name, where you sit, and you're, you know, you're sat with other guests of the ceremony. I find my seat, my wife's seat, and there's the bride's friend that sits at our table, and I recognize her. And I say to her, I give her eye contact, and I say, oh, you're Tiffany. How are you? You just got married about a year ago, right? When you live in New York, and you just graduated. How was that degree? I mean, it's pretty, pretty hard to uh, graduate from that degree. So you got married. I saw the pictures. Great pictures. I mean, they were fantastic. 
And as she's hearing me, she looks up, looks at me and says, do I know you? Do I, do I know you? And I'm like, well, no, but, um, and in Savannah's saving day fashion, saving the day fashion, she extends her hand to the bride's friend and says, hi, I'm Savannah. I, uh, <laughs> so Brie was my roommate in Columbia, the bride. Brie was my roommate in Columbia. And so the friend hears this and says, oh, you're Savannah. Oh, my goodness. You came from Columbia to be in Florida. This is so wonderful. And so as I'm looking at this newfound BFF sisterhood, I'm just sitting there cutting and just <laughs> completely embarrassed. But that's a pretty silly example of what can happen when you misuse someone's name, when you use someone's name as if you know that person, right? But on a more personal note, some of us have experienced that type of interaction when someone uses a name as if they, they know that person. Um, some of us even have been coerced into doing certain things or not doing certain things in church, all in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, that has caused really serious hurts. And if that's you, I really want to apologize. I mean, that is not the aim of our church. That is not what is supposed to happen with the body of Christ. The name of Jesus is not to be manipulated for our will, or our own gain, or our own manipulation. For some of us who have experienced that hurt, you look at Jesus and say, I, mean, I can't measure up. I can't do enough for Jesus to love me. So you think that relationship with Jesus is impossible. And I'm truly sorry that you believe that lie, that you have to earn Jesus' love in some way or do these things all in the name of Jesus so that he will be pleased with you. I'm really, really sorry. If you're struggling with that hurt, you made it here today, I'm, I'm really, really happy that you're here. Um, but let's talk through that. Um, there, there are leaders and elders here who can help walk you through that, that process. Um, because no one is supposed to feel that way. When I look at this passage, there is a warning to using like dark magic and even following uh, false doctrine and using the name of Jesus to manipulate for our own gain. Also looking at this passage, it's a way of looking at the dangerous consequences of using incantations and spells that still exist today. Not only in my home country, United States, but also here in Colombia, right? The use of dark magic is still a very real thing today. But I want you to know that if you're a professing Christian, if you believe and have confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit in you cannot coexist with the evil spirits that are very real that are out there as well. They cannot coexist, right? And you can see in the scripture that these, these sons of Sceva, they paid big time for manipulating the name of Jesus. Because the gospel isn't designed for that. The gospel isn't designed to 
be manipulative. The gospel isn't designed to have our wills fulfilled. The gospel is truly designed so that Jesus is glorified. And that's going to bring me to my, my last point. News got around that the sons of Sceva got whooped up by this uh, man who was possessed by an evil spirit, and everyone becomes afraid. But let's look closer at that passage in verse 17. Verse 17 says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. When I first read this passage, I thought that everyone was afraid because of the evil spirit, right? But we see that that's not the case because of what is happening in the next two verses, verses 18 and 19. What's happening in those two verses is conversion, right? They're worshiping God, they're extolling the name of Jesus, and folks are beginning to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, Right? This is a name that was way more powerful than the names they used to conjure up their spells and incantations. And you might think, well, this is a reaction to what they had heard as a result of the sons of Sceva being beat up and stuff. And no, this, is, this was real change. So much so that most of the former exorcists who had heard this news and started to worship Jesus, they gathered up all their books of magic spells and they burned them. The passage says that it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Today, that would be worth 6 million U.S. dollars. I don't know what that number is in Colombian pesos, but it's a lot. Trust me. It's a, it's a lot. They didn't sell those books to make a profit. They burned it. And that says a lot. That says that they are completely surrendering their practices their beliefs, their money. They began to be in complete and utter dependence on Jesus. About 10 years ago, if you were to ask Joe Monroe, an illusionist, a a magician illusionist, about God, he would say that the idea of God is, is pretty silly, right? He said in an interview that learning how to become a magician I have developed a skepticism. And the article goes on to say that as a magician, he understood everything to be some kind of scheme or that something was going on behind the scenes that was ultimately fake or false. To him, he thought that God was simply a Wizard of Oz, some man behind the curtain. So he got invited to a church and he went And he heard some things and saw some things, and it messed with his ideology. It messed with his worldview, and he began to wrestle with it. He really, really wrestled with what he was hearing versus what he was believing. And he got to the point where he he said to God, God, if I'm going to believe in you and believe in the gospel, I need to know that this is real. I want to know what's behind the curtain. A few months later, he realizes that he's diagnosed with a rare disease, a rare uh, form of leukemia, and the only cure was to administer a bone marrow transplant from someone who had DNA so succinctly matched up with his. 
Long story short, it was going to take a miracle for him to find a donor to administer that bone marrow transplant. And the doctors found one through a 19-year-old woman. And so as the procedure goes on, they prep them and tell them, we're going to take out your blood. In this chemotherapy process, we're going to take out your blood, and you are going to receive the blood of a new person. You're going to, it's going to be like being born again. And so Joe Monroe was healed from leukemia, but something else happened. His conversion. You see, God spoke to him through that leukemia process and being healed from leukemia. And this is what he had to say. As a skeptic and a magician, I fully believe. I fully believe in not only who God is, but also what he did for me. There is no question in my mind. So although he was a skeptic, he surrendered to Jesus like the Ephesians did. He surrendered to Jesus just like the Ephesians did. And surrender is what God wants from us. God wants us to surrender our power or the power we think we have. God wants us to surrender our autonomy. He wants us to surrender everything, actually. But not in an oppressive way. He doesn't, again, this is not an oppressive message, but he wants us to surrender in such a way that we are liberated as humanity, and it allows us to become a part of the biblical story. It allows us to become a part of his family. And so when we get to know Jesus, our Messiah, it changes everything. And that's what sanctification is all about, right? Being constantly formed and shaped more to be like Christ. And that's a beautiful process. That really is a beautiful process. But first, we must surrender. Philippians 2, 10, and 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Surrender. Surrender it all to Jesus. The story of Nagwa and Sarah continues. One night, Nagwa has a dream, and in that dream, an angel appears to her. And the angel says, you're going to die soon because you don't have the antidote to save your life. And hearing this in her dream, she's shaken up, and she responds to the angel in her dream. She says, what do you mean? Where can I find this antidote? The angel replies, Sarah has a rock in her house that has been keeping her safe, protecting her from your curses. That rock is what you need. And so Nagua wakes up, goes to Sarah's house, knocks on her door. Sarah answers, no hello, just, where's the rock? Where's the rock? Give me the rock. Sarah's, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a rock. Nagua says, an angel appeared to me in my dream and said that you have a rock that's been keeping you safe, protecting you from all the curses that I've been throwing your way. And at that moment, Sarah realized what the rock was. 
And I see a lot of you nodding your head. That rock was Jesus Christ. And as Sarah began to talk about Jesus Christ, Nagwa realized that she had to do away with her, her practices. And she became a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, today, she is so thankful for having a Christian neighbor that has led her to be with Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the all-powerful one. His name is all-powerful. But he doesn't use his power to oppress or manipulate. Jesus uses his power to restore what's broken in this world between God and humanity. And he did that on the cross. You look at the cross, him living perfectly in human form, dying for us and rising up again. When we look at the cross, that is the single most powerful act of love in human history. And he did that for us because he loves us. And so as a result, as a human response, it is his name that should be glorified. And it will be. It's his name that is above all names. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that as we are looking more closely to the ministry and the missionary journey of Paul, we see the beautiful things that you're doing. We're seeing healing and miracles, and we're seeing you go towards the brokenness and the darkness and turning it to light, not only uh, by ridding people of evil spirits, but what you're doing in their hearts and what you're doing in our hearts. So we're so thankful that this is all made possible through your son, Jesus. We look to the cross, the most powerful and beautiful acts in human history, we are just in such awe. We get to wear the righteousness of Jesus, and as an exchange, Jesus has become sin for us and took on the punishment that we so deserve. And so um, thank you so much that we know the good news and that his name, Jesus, will be glorified forever and ever. Thank you for showing that in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.